Welcome back to Daily Devoted. My name is Meshach Canyon. Thank you for joining me on this podcast about the kingdom of God and our place in it. Well, today we are continuing our series in the book of Daniel. We're turning to one of the most popular stories in the Old Testament and one of my favorite stories. This is the story about the fiery furnace and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then the king looking in and seeing a fourth man in the fire. But before we get there, we're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, and I'm not going to read it. I will trust that you will press pause and read it, uh, since it's kind of lengthy and kind of repetitive, but please read it so that you can understand what we're talking about. As I said, this is one of the most popular stories. A lot of people know it. Um, and one of the reasons of its popularity is the old Veggie Tales uh, thing that came out. I think they called them Rack, Shack, and Benny or something like that. And I, I actually, you know, I hate when people come up to me and they're like, oh, you're the guy from Veggie Tales. I just kind of look at them and blink slowly. Um, I don't do that. I'm a very polite and kind, spirit filled person. So <laughs> I don't do that sort of thing. But. Um, VeggieTales is responsible for popularizing this story. But I also say that because the story is so popular, it shows up a lot in in uh, children's tales. You know, they will reformat it and tell it to children because it's such a compelling, a compelling story. And we want to make sure that our kids understand that. But because of that, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, whenever we retell a story, for to a child, we make the story more palatable. And in doing so, some of the characters lose a, a little bit of their edge. You know, we uh, we make it PG-13 or PG when it was supposed to be rated R, uh, to use that kind of illustration. And I think something similar has happened in this story where uh, it's the effect it's had upon uh, the, the rest of us, the adults, so to speak, is that we uh, we've kind of adopted a muted understanding of what's taking place here. And we see King Nebuchadnezzar as being kind of a childish brat. Uh, because what happens in this story is right after um, the last uh, chapter where he had a dream about an image. Well, now we see Nebuchadnezzar building an image of his own and commanding everyone in Babylon to bow down and worship the image when they hear uh, certain instruments being played. Now, someone someone asked um, if he built the image because of the dream. And we don't know. I mean, the, the Bible doesn't really indicate that. I don't know if these stories are chronological, but it is interesting that right after uh, chapter two, when he has this dream in chapter three, he's building an image. So perhaps the the dream gave him the idea. And if that's the case, then uh, talk about missing the point. I mean, this brother, <laughs> if that's the case, he really. Uh, took the wrong message from what Daniel had to tell him about the interpretation. But nevertheless, what we've done with Nebuchadnezzar um, is understand him as a childish brat that wants people to worship him. And so he builds this image. And since he has power, he can make a rule that says everybody needs to bow down and worship uh, the image, which represents me. And if you don't, you're going to get in really big trouble. And that is so far from the kind of person that Nebuchadnezzar was. Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, I mean, he was prone to to fits of rage and maybe prone to uh, having extreme levels of pride, um, like all leaders are prone to have, especially those whose power goes unchecked. But the man was brilliant. 
The man was a strategist. He was Alexander the Great and Napoleon before those two guys. He created the template for how to be a conquering king that those guys built upon. So Nebuchadnezzar was a genius. Therefore, why did he create this statue? Well, if you remember from chapter one, as he's bringing in uh, these Israelites, these people from Jerusalem, remember we talked about his strategy of assimilating. His goal was to create um, a city, Babylon, a nation that had people from all other nations of the world that identified as Babylonians. So when he brought them in, he didn't enslave them, but he took the best and brightest of them and enrolled them in his university and had them serve in his court. So he's giving them a new sense of belonging. He's trying to make uh, Babylonians out of Jerusalemites, as it were, right? And what he's doing here goes alongside with that. So if he if he asks the question, and maybe he had a meeting with his cabinet or something, how can we increase a sense of belonging and loyalty amongst the people? The answer is, let's create a corporate ritual that everybody can engage in that will give that sense of belonging and that sense of unity. Why? Because we're all doing it together. Now, for most of the people in Babylon, this wouldn't be an issue because uh, back then, uh, you know, there were no atheists. Everybody believed in in a God or in many gods. So for him to create this statue and say, hey, when the music is played, you got to bow down and do this. Most of the people would have been like, okay, it's a minor inconvenience, but hey, it's just another statue. It's just another God that uh, we're going to have to worship, but my God's not going to be offended. The only people that it would be really a problem for would be those from Jerusalem who were commanded to not bow down and worship any other gods. So if we remove the aspect of King Nebuchadnezzar's childish, he wants everybody to worship him. Now we can really analyze what the uh, what he's really asking them to do. So let me just read that part real quick. Uh, verse five. And this is from the mouth of his herald. You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. So you see, you see what happened. He gave them something to do together. Now, don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate the power of a corporate ritual. I mean, we engage in so many corporate rituals. See, sometimes Christians will read this passage and, and they'll say, man, I'm not, you got to be a dummy to bow down and worship an inanimate object, right? And so we miss the point of what's happening. Because even though in our sophisticated 21st century uh, belief in, in God, but no other idols and things like that, we miss out on the fact of what's really happening here. Because while we may not bow down and worship a golden image, we do engage in rituals. And those rituals have powerful and transformative effects on the things we do. They impact our thoughts, our feelings, our sense of belongings. And once they once they grab us by the heart, you know, rituals don't aim at the head. They aim at the heart. 
once it grabs you at the heart and that sense of belonging begins to settle in, you know, you, you may be willing to pick up arms to defend your nation. That's how rituals work. I preached about this a few months ago. Many people don't realize that when they started, they started um, playing patriotic music at sports stadiums during World War Two. Why? Because they're trying to get the citizenship to become very patriotic. And so what did they do? They didn't create civics classes within every community. They created a ritual and they had everybody stand up, remove your hat, sing these songs, put your hand over your heart as you sing these songs. Many children, they go to school and before the day starts, what do they pledge allegiance to? The flag. Why? Because it helps them with math. That's ridiculous, right? No, they're trying to cultivate a sense of belonging, a sense of unity. And so they give them something to do together. That's the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He asked the question, how can we create loyalty amongst this diverse group of people? The answer is, let's give them a corporate uh, a corporate ritual that we can do together. Now, this is a problem for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the other uh, children of Israel in this place because they're commanded to not worship. And so we'll see next time. I'm going to go ahead and, and end it right now, but I, I have one more point, but we'll see what they do next time. Um, well, two points, actually. One is homework. Pay attention to your rituals. What are the rituals that you engage in? What is what, what what impact are they having on you? What thoughts and feelings and inclinations are they sowing within you? Think about when you go to a sports game. Think about when you go to work. What do you listen to uh, ritualistically? Think about the news programs you tune into. What do they have you do together that instills something within you? Think about the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. There's so many rituals and they're having an effect on us. Like James K.A. Smith said, the things you do, do something to you. So pay attention to the things that you're doing. The last thing I wanted to point out was how loud the invitation to participate in the ritual was. Let me just read what the Herald said one more time. You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. I mean, he just mentioned six instruments, then he said in every kind of music. So just put yourself in that scenario. It's noise. It's loud. It's meant to grab your attention and grab your heart, right? Now, if you're a person of God, think about how difficult it would be to hear the voice of the Lord. See, the voice of the world, the voice of the evil one, it's always loud. It's always attractive. It's always easy to pay attention to. But how does God's voice come? Still, quiet. It forces us to really pay attention. I just I wanted to leave you guys with that because this is a small thing that, you know, we sometimes we, we don't pay attention to the invitation to bow down and worship anything other than God. Those are always really loud. <clears throat> they are. They're always accompanied by a lot of really great marketing. But the invitation to come to God is usually small, imperceptible. It usually calls for us to seek God out because God wants us to really want to find him. Pay attention to the things that are drawing your attention 
and pay attention to how you're directing your voice or not your voice, but your actions. And then pay attention to the still, small, quiet voice of God today. Heavenly Father, drop thy still dues of quietness until all our striving cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives profess the beauty of thy peace. Breathe through the heat of our desires, thy coolness and thy balm. Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire. Speak through the earthquake, wind and fire. O still small voice of calm. <laughs>